Hallelujah. So I want to um, uh, share a message this morning. Actually, it's a continuation of the, um, some messages that I've been sharing uh, over the past while, and um, which is basically, uh, if you go to the next slide, um, <clears throat> okay, uh, th on the theme of keeping the main thing, the main thing. And, um, and so uh, we've talked about the fact that as uh, uh, individual believers, it's important that we keep the main thing, the main thing. And uh, so um, it's important also that the church uh, keeps the main thing, the main thing. And a grounded church and a, a grounded believer keeps the main thing, the main thing. Um, uh, today is a time when we are facing circumstances which we have never faced before. Um, we are facing unprecedented times and events, at least from our perspective. Um, uh, and in general, society has not been prepared and is not prepared and is not prepared or equipped to handle um, the upheaval and disruption to our lives. And, and it's important that at times like this, okay, we need leaders who are grounded or as we, have, or as we say, have their feet on the ground, but more so in the church. I believe more so in the church, uh, but not only leaders in the church, but each believer needs to be grounded, <laughs> needs to have their feet on the ground. Um, in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, the Apostle Paul says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love. Um, uh, in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a crisis, grounded people are not easily influenced by the wrong people. Uh, or in the church, uh, grounded people, grounded Christians uh, are not influenced by erroneous teaching. Now, someone who is grounded makes good decisions. Um, and in my reading, uh, uh, one person says this, someone who is grounded makes good decisions and does not say or do stupid things. Okay. Okay. Grounded people are unshakable. Grounded people are established, are firmly established. Grounded people are stable. Grounded people are secure. And someone has said, when you are grounded, your mind is still and you are completely focused. It is from this place of being grounded that makes, that we can make decisions and can act in an effective way. Bible tells us that we're not to worry. Grounded Christians understand that whatever happens, that with God's help, they can handle it. They don't worry. Jesus, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter six, says this, therefore, uh, and this is uh, the uh, English Standard Version, which uh, says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, or don't, be, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be uh, anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
In Matthew, uh, in, uh, in the New King James Version, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I believe this morning that grounded Christians are anchored in the truth of the Word of God. They possess an unwavering <coughs> moral compass. Now, I want to just now go on to what I want to share this morning. Put the next slide up, please. Okay. Um, I, I want to focus on the end times and keeping the main thing, the main thing. Now, before I do get, get into that, I just want to just go back one step to my previous message. If you can put the next slide up, please. Okay. Uh, where we talk about keeping the main thing, the main thing. Now, this is a paraphrase of the Word of God. It says, uh, where it says, seek first the kingdom of God. And this is paraphrase. Put God's kingdom and his righteousness first in your lives. And whatever you need will be provided for you. That is a promise of God. That is a promise of God. And the Bible tells us the promises of God are yes and amen to those that believe. Okay, just the next slide, okay, and just a summary of what we, what, what we believe that, that, what I believe that means, okay. Uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It, we need to be committed to de, de, daily developing a prosperous soul. We need to be committed to giving God our best. We need to be committed to being immersed in the Word of God, committed to prayer and seeking God's will and purposes. We need to be committed to walk daily in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that that is, is a summary, really, of what it means as Christians to keep the main thing, the main thing. Amen? Hallelujah. So just go, go on then, and we're going to get back into what I want to share uh, this morning. Um, okay, next slide, please. The, about the end times and keeping the main thing, the main thing. Now, in the present <coughs> challenge of COVID-19, Many in the church and many ministries have become preoccupied with end-time prophecy. Uh, now, it's undeniable that a pandemic is consistent with the circumstances prophesied as part of the end-time events. But the point is we need to remember that such circumstances have existed many times in the past. It's obvious we are nearer Christ's return now than before. And I want to emphasize that I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? Uh, Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. Uh, uh, and it's not going to be on the uh, uh, overheads, but he said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there he may be also. Now, having said that, and I'm not going to, you can look up Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 25, and other scriptures, but <laughs> I want to emphasize the fact that my Bible tells me, in the words of Jesus himself, that no one knows or will, not, or will know when the hour of the Lord's return is going to be. The Lord's return is unknown and cannot be known. The Bible, my Bible tells me that, and Jesus said it himself, 
that the time of his return, not even he knows. Now that may surprise you, but that's the words of Jesus. He says, the time of his return is in the Father's hands. Okay, remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, uh, the Acts chapter 2, and G- uh, they were t- uh, the, the story about the disciples coming to Jesus and asking, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, that's not for you to know. That's not your business. That's not your business. He says, your business is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to become witnesses and t- uh, to uh, and a testimony to the world around and about you. Mark chapter 13 says, Watch therefore, for he know not when the master of the house cometh. Watch. The Lord's appearing is to be unannounced, unexpected, and it will occur while men are busy at their daily vocations, men and women. The precise date of the second advent has been purposely withheld from us. Wow. You say, well, why would that be? Why would that be? Well, it's because we are called to watch and wait. And we are called to be prepared. Anybody know the story about the ten virgins? Five were ready, five were not ready. And their lamps... The five that were ready, their lamps were full of oil, then they could go out into the night and meet the bridegroom when he comes. It's a story, it's a, it's a parable that Jesus told. And so <coughs> God intends that we be ready and that we need to watch. Now we know that in the last days, okay, that the Bible tells us that in the last days perilous times will come and evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. The Bible also tells me that when sin abounds, his grace will much more abound. So no man knows or can know when Christ is coming. And so if, I, I, I want to be blunt. I want to be uh, frank with you this morning. If anyone comes on your TV and tells you they know when it's going to happen, they are contra- con- contradicting the word of God. We can recognize that the circumstances may seem to suggest that he's coming, but no man knows and no man can know. And those are the words of Jesus himself. And so this is where I want to address the main thrust of my message this morning. Uh, the book of Revelation and its end times descriptions is the focus of many today. Okay, can we go to the next slide, please? We're going to look at letters to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3. As I just mentioned, the the book of Revelation uh, is the focus of many today. Now, the the descriptions in the book of Revelation are sensational in many ways, and many are trying to decipher their meaning. But I want to suggest this morning that, that to place so much focus on understanding the imagery can distract uh, uh, from what the church should be focused on uh, in the midst of the uncertainty around us. And I want to focus this morning on the second and third chapter of Revelation, which I believe is where the church and you and I should be focused on and which will keep us grounded when there is turmoil 
uncertainty and panic all around us. I think it is interesting that these two chapters preface all that the rest that in the book of Revelation. Why are these things addressed before we get into all that sensational imagery in the rest of the uh, book of Revelation? I believe they're there because God knows that what he is going to say will cause people to get caught up in maybe things which are irrelevant. And he comes to speak to the churches which are established there in uh, Asia, what is known in the Bible as Asia Minor. I want to focus, as I said, on these two chapters. Now, the book of Revelation, John speaks, the, the apostle John is given a vision, he's told to speak to the seven churches which are in Revelation. These are churches which are established in the cities in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They were actually literal churches in those days. So I wonder, first of all, and we're going to look at them under certain headings. Now, the first church that uh, uh, the Apostle John is uh, directed to uh, give a message to is the church at Ephesus. Okay. And the church at Ephesus, <coughs> we're told, had many admirable qualities, but they had one tragic flaw. Verse 4 of chapter 2 says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Everything about the Ephesian church looked good outwardly, but their heart wasn't in it. You know, we can have all the outward trappings of the church. We can even as it, as it says regarding the church at Ephesus, they, they were doctrinally very, very uh, uh, secure. But we can have all those trappings. But if we have lost the first, our first love for the Lord, we will eventually, and it's going to come in another one of the messages of the churches, we will find that without having that First love, if our heart is not in it, if it's simply carrying out the formalities of church, then God is not satisfied. God intends that we live in a way that is reflective of the ardor and of the uh, intensity of our first love for the things of God. That's the first thing. The church, a grounded church, does not lose its first love. It maintains its 
intensity of love for the Lord and for his work. The second church that, had, uh, that uh, John gave a message to was the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna. And it says the church at Smyrna remains faithful admit in the midst of persecution. It remains faithful in the midst of it. And, and you know, some consider what we're going through right now as a, as, as a time of persecution. I want to tell you, we don't know what persecution is. I want to tell you, the, the church in China today knows what persecution is. We do not know what persecution is. But <laughs> there's a very challenging uh, portion of scripture uh, portion in the scripture regarding the churches at Smyrna, it, it warns them that they're going, to, they're going to face more persecution. They're going to face more persecution. And dare I say that the church in the West is going to face more persecution. You may not like that, but let me tell you, there's more to come. But the message to the church and Smyrna was this, remain faithful. Do not let your faith waver when you are faced with more persecution. And I believe the message to the church today is forget about the second coming of Christ. Forget about the rapture and all. Forget about you know, tribulation. I want to tell you, when persecution comes, the church must retain, retain its faith and confidence in God. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 10, it says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Ah. You see, people today just want a nice message. They want to be told that everything is going to be fine. They want to be told that, you know, no, there's going to be no persecution. There's going to be no trouble. But, uh, you know, I want to tell you, if the church remains faithful to the witness and testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, in this world you will face tribulation. God is saying to us, as he's saying to the church in Smyrna, he didn't have anything against the church in Smyrna. His word to the, to the church in Smyrna was this, you've got faith right now even in the midst of persecution, because they were in a place, they were in a situation, okay, where there was a lot of persecution. And, and, and the, the, the prophetic word for them was that they were going to receive more persecution, but remain faithful. As you've been faithful up to now, remain faithful as you go forward and face more persecution. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. Being grounded, a church that's grounded. A church that's grounded does not compromise its beliefs. Pergamos was a church. The Bible says it was, Pergamos was uh, nicknamed uh, Satan's city. Satan's city. Okay. Um, Actually, Pergamos was built on the Acropolis. It was the most famous and ornate halter in the world. Sculptures around it. And it was a place where the church became compromised. 
Revelation chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat sacrifice foods to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay. What, 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 what's uh, uh, the scripture talking about? It's talking about the fact that the, the church at Pergamos had accepted immorality in its midst. Specifically, it, it accepted that uh, sexual immorality, there was nothing wrong with sexual immorality. That's the teaching of Balaam. That's the, t the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay. And we have to be careful, the church in these days, as it faces whatever it we're facing in the future, if we want to be grounded in the th things of God, we, the church needs to be a church that does not tolerate immorality in its midst. And so a grounded church does not compromise its beliefs. We are to flee. We are to flee from sinful behavior in the church. And the church needs to speak out against uh, sinful believer, uh, uh, s sinful acts in the church. Next slide, please. A grounded church does not fall prey to false prophets. A grounded church does not fall prey to false prophets. Thea Tara had come under the sway of what the Bible talks about, uh, the prophet S who was uh, described as Jezebel. Now Jezebel, obviously it's, it's a term that comes from the Old Testament where Jezebel, who was the wife of King Ahab, okay, had an, an, uh, an immoral influence on the people in those days. And so uh, this is not really the name of the prophetess that the, that, that the Bible is referring to in Revelations, but it, it is a title given to that uh, person who was prophesying in the midst and was prophesying immorality. We have to be careful in these days. The church needs to be careful to be grounded. We have to be careful that we are not uh, uh, submitting ourselves or accepting uh, the, the words of false prophets. We need to know the word of God. We need to know, recognize what God is saying to the church in, in these days. A grounded church, a grounded church, a grounded Christian is not, is not deceived by false prophets. And dare I say today that I believe there are false prophets in the church or claiming to be false prophets in the church. Uh, and, you know, we can go on, and I, I don't want to get into that. There's a lot of things that we could take from that scripture, what, what, what the result would be if we... Uh, Will, will fall prey to uh, false prophets in the church. Next one. A grounded church maintains spiritual vitality. In the, in the message that God, uh, Jesus gave to John to give to the church in Sardis, it says this, I know your works, 
that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. You are dead. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. You know, and there's so many, it's so possible, you know, to, to, to have all the outward appearances of being a good church. I, I think the best description of that is uh, found in the Word of God. It says, those who that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. It's for, possible to have an outward form, an outward appearance of that, you know, we see, you have it, but inwardly there is death because there's no life of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in the church. We need to recognize that when the Spirit leaves or is grieved or is quenched, that a church will die. A church will die. When... <clears throat> You know, in the same way as when a human spirit departs, its body dies, the same is true of the church. We are to know the reality of the presence of God in the midst. We need the power of the Holy Spirit today, amen? amen. Hallelujah. We need it in the church. We need it in our own individual lives, amen? We need to know, as we were talking about earlier, on the personal level, keeping the main thing, the main thing, we need to know what it is to walk daily in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, and then the next point is this, and it's shown in the message to the church in Philadelphia. A grounded church find its, finds its strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, um, it says that the, God commanded the church in Philadelphia for four things. They had open door. They had a little strength. They kept the word of God and they had not denied the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And so th this morning, we may ha a church may have little strength, but if its strength is in the Lord, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we can repeat with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Hallelujah. A little faith. What did Jesus say? If you have a faith the say, say, of a mustard seed, you shall be able to say to this mountain, be removed into the sea, and so on and so on. Okay. Um, and so if Christ is present, amen, we are able to know this. Okay. Uh, Paul, the, 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 the apostle said this, when we are weak, then we are strong. <laughs> amen. Well, what's all that about? Well, it means when, when I recognize that I, I'm weak, I, I don't have the strength to face these things that I'm facing. But when I recognize that and I recognize that God is my strength, then I'm going to overcome. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. We, we, we must learn to depend on, on Jesus Christ to give us strength. Amen? Hallelujah. Because the church belongs to Christ, we are to identify with him regardless of the costs. Amen. And finally, finally, based on the message to 
the, the church in Laodicea, uh, a church that is grounded is spiritually relevant. Is spiritually r relevant. Now, um, uh, what, what, what does the church of Laodicea known for? It says, God's message to them, that he says he was not happy with them. In fact, uh, <laughs> he says, you make me sick. <laughs> you make me sick. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're neither hot nor cold. Uh, and, you know, we, we can live a, 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 a form of Christianity, okay, which is just sort of so-so. But we don't have any relevance to the world around and about us. Um, and uh, in, the, in the particular message to, to, to the church of Laodicea, uh, the scripture says that they were naked. They were naked. Uh, um, now, in scripture... Uh, nakedness is a metaphor for, for de defeat and humiliation. And the church of Laodicea pretended to be clothed in righteousness, but in fact they were l naked, lacking in every way as far as the things of God was concerned. And, and so by co uh, Jesus was presenting to them this fact that they were not of any relevance to the world around and about them. And a, a grounded church is spiritually irrelevant. It will, it will have an intensity of worship. It will have an intensity of, uh, of its message. There will be a zeal that will be uh, evident in uh, the life of the church. So let's just summarize. Let's go back one slide. Because I believe these things this morning, these things speak to us as a church and as individuals, that in the face of end time issues, okay, these things are the things that the church and we as individuals should be keeping the main thing. Amen? It should, we should be focused on not losing our first love. We should be focused upon being faithful in the midst of persecution. We should be focused on not compromising our uh, beliefs. We should be focused on not falling prey to false prophets. We should be focused on maintaining spiritual vitality. We should be focused on fi look, finding our strength in God, not in man. Looking not to earthly prophets, but to looking to the, the prophet who is the prophet, he is, the, the hymnist says, he is my prophet, priest, and king. He is the one I should be looking, we should be looking for, and we should be focused on being relevant and having a message that will either refresh people or will sort of give people uh, uh, something that is going to give them health and strength. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's put the last slide up. Let's stand together. I hope I won't be upsetting anybody here this morning, but the Vice President of the United States 
bastardized this verse this week. The verse says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In a political address this week, the vice president of the United States says, let us fix our eyes on old glory. Old glory is the American flag. I want to tell you this morning, in the face of everything that we are facing, even if it is the time that Christ is coming back, let us keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? Hallelujah. He is the one that we should be looking to in these days. Not politicians, not anybody. He is the only one. He is the only one who has the whole world. To use the, the words of that song, they're saying, he's got the whole world in his hands. Amen? He's the only one who has the whole world in his hands, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. He is ruling and reigning right now. He is on the throne right now. He is, I think it was in, 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 in uh, something that was read this morning, he is the king of all kings. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And our priority this morning, if we want to be grounded in times of upheaval, if we want to be grounded in times of testing, and trials and tribulations, if we want to be uh, 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 in a place where we, we are not uh, 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 destroyed this morning, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the one who is ruling and reigning. Do you believe that this morning? Hallelujah. The kingdom of God. Thank God for the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is in each and every believer who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He has put his Holy Spirit within you. He has called you to put, make him um, uh, and put him on the throne of your life. I want to tell you this morning, I don't want to bow to any king. There's only one king I want to bow to this morning, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now we'll honor those who are set in authority around about us. We, we, we know all about those things. But in the end, there's only one king. There's only one person who's seated at the right hand of God. He sat down. He has sat down. What's the significance of that? What's the significance of that? He has completed the work. He has completed the work. He says, I, I've done what I should do, and now I'm going to take my seat, and I'm going to rest. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise his wonderful name. And the promise of the word of God is to the every believer that we are seated with him in heavenly places. So what's the significance of that? That means that through the power of the inworking power of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives, we now are 
capable of being uh, uh, of displaying the authority that he has in heaven. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise his wonderful name. He sat down. Move for the joy that's set before him and do with the cross. You know what the, do you know what that means? What was the joy that was set before him? It's you and me. Every individual, every individual who's accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal savior, you are the joy that was set before him when he endured the cross. Praise his wonderful name. Hallelujah. That, 